I want to start off this morning by asking a deep theological question. Why do we eat dinner before dessert? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about the reasons why we do that? Maybe it was, that was the rule. It's what I was told. Maybe it, it sounds right. My mom used to tell me that it would ruin your meal. I don't know about you guys, but I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've eaten a cookie before my meal, and then the meal came, and I didn't have any problems eating my meal. Okay? Maybe that's just because I'm a grown boy. I don't know why. The more I thought about this, I started actually thinking of more reasons why it would be better to eat dessert first. Okay? First of all, it's going to be better for your teeth. Because if you eat dessert last, then the sugar is going to stay stuck to your teeth. That ain't good. It's better for your sleep, especially if you eat like my daughter, Malin, because we start dinner at 6 and she finishes around 9 o'clock. Okay, so she's eating dessert way too close to bedtime. I heard that science says that our first bite that we take at dinner is the most tastiest bite. It's, it's when our taste buds are at their finest. So why would you want to waste that on something other than something that is sweet? And I saved the most important for last. And this comes all the way from grandma. And she told me, listen, what if Jesus comes back between dinner and dessert? <laughs> and I can't, I cannot argue with that logic. I say all that to say that there's some beliefs out there that we just kind of accept to be true. It's kind of what we hear or maybe what we've been told, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is true. We've been in this series called Cliches, Half-Truths, and Lies that We Believe. And I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to be more critical in the way that we think and some of the things that we believe. Now, this morning, I want to focus on this idea that God won't give us more than we can bear. See, this statement isn't necessarily all wrong, but I do believe that it can lead to dangerous ways of thinking. You can begin to ask questions like, God, why are you doing this to me? See, since the Garden of Eden, we've been living in unbearable conditions. And I can't believe, I don't believe that God is the cause for everything difficult and for everything bad that happens to us in our lives. I, I don't believe that God is this little boy sitting on an anthill with a magnifying glass. That being said, I do believe that God sometimes intentionally gives us more than we can bear. But I also believe that there's times that we create those situations on our own. And sometimes we just happen to walk into them on accident. And those of you that have lived life as long as I have, you understand that there are times where God chooses to intervene and there's times where he chooses to let us face it. But what I think is really awesome about God is that everything that he does, he does with a purpose or he bends it back to his purpose for those of us that love him. And the other cool piece about this is that God never asks us to face anything alone. I believe that God allows us to face more than we can bear because he wants to teach us some things. And that's where I want to go this morning. So if you have your outline, you can follow along. The first piece of this is I, I think that God wants us to learn to lean on Jesus, to learn to lean on him, to learn to trust him. 
There's a story in the, in the Bible about a man named Gideon, and God goes to Gideon and says, listen, there's an army that's coming against my people, and I'm calling you, Gideon, to stand up for my people. And Gideon's like, listen, God, you got the wrong dude, okay? I'm in the worst tribe. I'm in the worst family in that tribe, and I'm the least in my family. You've got the wrong guy. He says, listen, no, I've got the wrong, I got the right guy. And I'm going to send you and 299 of your people against an army of 120,000. I don't know about you. And I, I, don't, I don't know what, where your, your fairness guidelines are. But for me, 300 against 120,000 doesn't sound entirely fun. Right? But that's, that's the idea that it was more than Gideon could do on his own. But God is saying, listen, don't worry. I'll be with you. What you have trained your eyes to see is impossible. I can overcome. In this world, you will have trials. You're going to have trouble, but I will overcome. He who overcome is with you. 1 Peter 4.19 says this, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. He says, yes, there's going to be times where, where you're going to have to face an impossible battle ahead of you, but I need you to trust me. I need you to lean on me. I've got you. You might suffer and it might be hell, but hell will not triumph. There's an old hymn that I really love says, what have I to dread? What have I to fear? I have blessed peace knowing that my Lord is so near. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. So my question for you today is what is overwhelming you? What unbearable path lay before you? What battles are looming over you today? Maybe it's a debt. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe there's an addiction that you just can't shake. Maybe it's the difficulties in parenting. Maybe it's temptation or sin. Maybe it's just bad habits, old habits. Maybe it's a conversation that you know needs to happen, but you don't want to happen, right? Maybe it's an unknown future Maybe you lost a job and you're not sure where money's going to come from. There's uncertainty and fear. Maybe it's just complacency. That feeling of, of being stuck where you are and, and there, you don't feel like there's anything you can do about it, whether that's in life, whether it's in a relationship. Maybe it's even spiritual. Have you had those moments where you feel like I'm reading and I'm praying, but I'm getting nowhere? See, my question for you is, does, do other people know that you're facing what you face? Have you even voiced it to God? I think sometimes we assume as believers, just because God knows everything, it doesn't mean that we don't have to tell him for our own sake. How many of us are fighting battles today and we're fighting those battles alone? When I was first married and we were living in Pennsylvania, Stephanie asked me, she says, can you please go to the grocery store and give me a snack? So I'm like, okay. You know me, I always wanted to go to Walmart anyways because I just like looking at stuff. So I'm like, sure, I'll go to Walmart. I'll, I'll get you a snack. And I was like, what do you want? So like, I don't know yet. I'll, I'll text you. It's a 13-minute drive. So by the time I get there, you'll figure it out. So I'm driving. I get to Walmart. She texts me. She says, would you please get me some pumice? 
I'm like, okay, I got this, right? I got this. I'm getting pumice and I'm coming home. So I'm, let's fast forward, maybe 45 minutes later, I'm still looking for pumice, right? And I finally find a stone, right? And I'm starting to, I'm, I'm just like, okay, this is getting strange because I'm pretty sure that my wife is not trying to eat a stone. So then I'm like, you know what? I'm just, I got to ask somebody. So I, I go up to this guy and I ask him, I said, listen, my wife wanted me to bring home some pumice and, and I, I just, I, don't, I can't find it. And he looks at me strange. He goes, do you think she might have meant hummus? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I've been looking for something in Walmart for 45 minutes that doesn't even exist, right? A snack called pumice, but no. It, golly. And all that time, 45 minutes, I wasted when I could have walked up to the dude as soon as I got there and said, where's pumice? And he said, no, you're looking for hummus and it's right here. 45 minutes. All because I'm like, I'm a dude, I got this. I'm going to find pumice. It's going to be awesome. No, you can't find it. It doesn't even exist. Right? This, this, you, got, you got to see this, guys. God did not send Gideon alone. He sent him with 299 other soldiers. And now you're thinking, well, yeah, <laughs> there's still 120,000. That, that's the beautiful piece of this, that God didn't even ask him to fight alone. God went before him. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This, this idea that if you seek him, you will find him. Knock and the door will be open to you. Like, we got to learn to ask. Humility doesn't mean that you're incompetent. It just means that you need help. It means that you are facing things that are just too much for you to bear. You have not because you ask not. See, to me, the real definition of humility is having the courage to ask somebody for help. It's to get down on your knees and pray and ask God to see you through. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When I read the scripture, I, it's almost like I see this idea that all temptation and that all battles in our life are unbearable without God. But what is also true is that all temptation and all battles are beatable with God. We've got to learn to lean into God. It says right here in scripture, he will provide a way out. You know where we're out without his way out? We're stuck. Lean into God because he will make a way when there seems to be no way. Pray that God might show you the way out. Pray to God for the courage to take it. If life was always good, do you, if, if we always had everything that we need, do you think that we would reach out to God? I'm not sure that I would. And I'm not saying that God intentionally gives us trouble so that we'll go to him. But I do think that God intentionally doesn't help us until we ask. Because if he was always working in the background just giving us what we want, we'd probably just ignore him. This is what I know. Life is unbearable. Lean into Jesus. Because in him there is peace 
that surpasses all understanding. There is joy that you can have regardless of what you face. I also believe that God allows us to face more that we can bear so that we will be prepared for the future. Would you agree with me this morning that nine-foot soldier Goliath was way too much for five-foot teen David with a slingshot? Because I think so. And let's be honest, God and David were the only two people that thought that they could win. But where, where did that faith, where did David's faith, where did his confidence come from? I'm about to show you. 1 Samuel 17, 34 and 36. Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him. I rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Are you kidding me? David grabbed a lion by the beard and hit him in the head with a stick till he was dead. Can you imagine that? The courage it would take to do that? The faith? But let's keep reading. It says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. See, young David kills a lion and a bear, and that prepares him for his fight with Goliath because it gave him the faith and the confidence that comes because God had been faithful to him in the past. David gets himself in some more trouble. Later on in Samuel, look, we got David on the run from Saul. I want to read to you what happens in 1 Samuel 21, 8 and 9. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not a spear or sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine whom struck whom you struck down in the valley of Allah, behold, it is here. Are you kidding me? David faces yet another unbearable task. He has made himself into the number one enemy of the state, right? Saul the king is after him, wants his head. And David has no way to protect himself. He had to flee as quick as he could to try to not be killed. And now he goes to this priest for help and he says, do you have any weapons? And the priest just happens to have the sword that he used to cut Goliath's head off. Are you kidding me? <laughs> the tool that he earned facing an unbearable task now comes to him in his time of need. And it's not just a way to protect himself, but it's a reminder of when God was faithful to him in the past. That when he sat there and he faced Goliath and he looked up and thought, <laughs> but he accomplished and he knocked him down and killed him. Now he faces another unbearable task and he's, he's holding that sword, a reminder that God is with him and he is not alone and that he can face what lies ahead. I think God knows that life is hard. And I think God knows that it only becomes more difficult, but he loves us enough to prepare us for the future, to prepare us for the enemies that we face, whether it's Satan, whether it's flesh, whether it's negativity, hate, death, whatever it is. This is what 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says. Most importantly, be disciplined and stay on guard. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around outside like a roaring lion, 
just waiting and hoping for the chance to devour someone. Resist him, and check this out, be strong in your faith. See, we have the same power that David has to grab that lion by the face and to hit him in the head. Because the greatest weapon that we wield is our faith. The truth of what Jesus has done on the cross. That's why we take communion. We, we eat of, of the bread and drink of the juice to remember that he died on the cross. So that we remember that though he was faithful in the past, he will then be faithful in your future. He didn't get on the cross so that you could live a miserable life. He got on the cross so your life could be abundant. See, we see that in the life of David, every obstacle, every hardship, it wasn't necessarily about his victory, but it was about God showing up when he needed him most. And that gave David the courage to face the unbearable, to face that which was overwhelming. So my question for you today is to think about that, to think about what God has done for you what God has seen you through this far. I mean, there's nothing more humbling to me than looking back and seeing where I was compared to where I am now. Y'all, in high school, I was an idiot. Okay? And maybe it, that hadn't changed a whole lot, but I'm a lot less of an idiot than I was in high school. Right? I've grown so much. I'm so thankful for God because I remember in high school, I battled with lust, but I didn't even care. But today, I don't have to cower at that temptation because God has seen me through. He's made me a new man. He's taught me to appreciate my wife and my family and to know that though I see something that might look attractive, I can say, no, I don't want that because God is better, because he's been faithful to me, right? That's what we do. We learn. And what I've learned is that, yes, I am very broken, but I've also learned that God is not through with me yet, that he's been faithful to me in the past and he will be faithful again. In fact, every scar and every time I fall is just grace and strength in my gospel story. Life is unbearable, but God will prepare you for what's ahead. I also believe that God allows us to face more that we can bear so that we will grow. When I was younger, my brother told me something that I've never forgotten. And I say it to our students all the time. God demands progression, not perfection. When I was in college, I had a professor say to me, he said, it's okay to be where you are. It's not okay to stay there. And I had a pastor tell me one time, he said, the day you cease to learn is the day that you cease to live. It's almost like if, if God throughout my life has always been trying to get me to understand just how important it is for me to grow. This idea that we are like plants, that we are either growing or dying. And this idea that I can never give up on that. It's okay to be where I am. I just can't stay there. So I, I don't know if, if how many of you guys are friends with me on Facebook. I, I started, I bought a bird feeder, right? And I didn't know where this bird feeder was going to lead me. And I, we started getting these crazy birds showing up in the backyard. And I started taking pictures of them. Next thing I know, we got a dog 
and I'm taking the dog on walks and I'm taking pictures of birds and now all of a sudden I'm out like every day just looking for birds. Okay, I don't know, it's just changed my life forever. And I, I, love looking, I love looking for the big birds, raptors, hawks, kites, falcons, that kind of thing. And so I'm, I'm always out in the fields looking up, trying to get pictures. And I don't know if, if you guys know this. I, I'm not much of a photographer person. I'm just kind of learning. But it's really difficult to take a picture of a bird in flight. Okay, I've probably taken upwards, I'm not even kidding, a thousand pictures of birds in flight. And I'm pretty sure I only have three that are decent. I, I brought one this morning to show you. This is an American kestrel. It's a falcon. But it took me probably, I'm, I'm telling you, like a thousand pictures of terrible, I mean awful, out of focus, only half the birds in the picture. I mean, just awful pictures to get to this one picture. See, I, I love what Thomas Edison says. And I'm sure you guys have heard this before. I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 different ways that don't work. <laughs> this idea that, that we're not defined by the mistakes that we make or the obstacles that we face, but rather we're defined by how we choose to respond. Are we going to give up after the first thousand pictures? Or are we going to keep pushing through and hoping one day that you get that one that looks good? That we use our failures as opportunities to be better. This idea that, that growth comes from difficulty. That growth comes from keeping at it, from refusing to quit. That growth comes from facing an impossible task head on. Knowing that every time I get knocked down, I stand up a little bit taller. Romans 5, 3 through 4 says this. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and strength of character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. It's like this, this scripture is trying to encourage us not, not to be afraid, but instead to rejoice when trials are coming. Because look, when trials come, there are opportunities for us to grow. And not only that, but it's also a reminder that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We rejoice while fighting through the pains because we know how we change that, that joy of, of looking back and knowing that's, that's not who I am anymore. It feels like, I don't know, you can ask the students, it feels like a, a month ago, it was only like a week and a half ago that we did this mission trip. We stayed here, and the first day on Monday, we went to the park, and it was hotter than all get out, and we're picking up rocks at the dog park and more, and we're having a good time, and I went to go check on one of the other teams. I'm walking around, and I see there are just firework pieces everywhere. Buck Thomas Park always does fireworks on 4th of July, and for some reason, they forgot to clean up. I don't know. Somebody works for more, let them know. We did it for you. So I, I was like, I grabbed the kids. I said, all right, man, let's go. We're, we're going to go and we're going to pick up these fireworks. I'm, I'll be honest, man. Bending over is not a friend to me anymore. Uh, it was hot. I was irritable. We got a picture of our team working. I wanted to show you. Uh, we're out there working hard. And can I, can I tell you, like when we got done and like turned around and looked and saw the difference from before and after, like there was just like this sense of like accomplishment, this sense of like we actually helped 
the park, like, the, and there was so much joy in that. And I, that's exactly what I'm, I'm trying to say. Like, we look back at, at who we were, and, and there's got to be joy in us to say, that's not who I am anymore. God has grown me. God has used these experiences in my life to make me who I am today. I mean, if you ask somebody, like, uh, would you go back and do something differently? Listen, you wouldn't have the knowledge to do it differently if you hadn't experienced that in the first place. So why would you want to do that? It, it, it's that pain and those failures that, that teach us. We got to learn to lean into our experiences, to lean into those hardships. And, and, and I think we got we to learn to ask a tough question. And that is, am I growing? Am I the same yesterday that I am today? Am I the same today that I was a week or a month or a year ago? Am I, am I growing? And here's some of the ways I, I think you can gauge that. Second Peter and Galatians give us some. I want to read some to you. Are you becoming a more moral person? Are you becoming more knowledgeable in the scripture? Are you beginning to have endurance with life? What about self-control? Do you see yourself as having more self-control? Are you becoming more like God? Are you loving other people well? Do you have more joy in your life than you did a month ago? Are you becoming a person that has more peace? Are you more patient? Are you kind? Are you good? Are you faithful? Are you gentle? Think about those things. Are you becoming more like that? The sad truth is, if you're not, you're probably becoming less like that. So we've got to begin to ask that, that hard question of, am I getting better? You know, I, when I was at Mid-America Christian University, I, I used to go to Sonic quite a bit. It was like the closest thing. We didn't have OnQ and Walmart like they do now. I'm a touch jealous if you can't tell. Um, so I'm, I'm at Sonic and I'm there and I'm, I'm sitting out there and I, there's this homeless guy that walks up and orders food. And I just felt like God said to me in my spirit, you need to buy that man's meal. And I just sat there and I was like, mm, this is going to be awkward. I don't really want to talk to him. I don't want to give him cash. I just, I, and so I, I waited too long and the opportunity went by and they came out and they gave me my food and I went and turned around and walked away and a car behind me, there was a, a vehicle filled with five guys from the Mackey soccer team. So not only did I miss an opportunity to bless that homeless man, but I also missed an opportunity to show to five young soccer players that my faith is more than just what I talk about. But I missed it. But the, but the point is not to sit on that and go, oh, you idiot. No, the point is to say, you know what? The next time I get an opportunity, I'm not going to miss it. That's what growth is about. That's why God gives us these experiences. Not, not for us to feel pity about ourselves or to, or to feel sad. So that we can grow. So that we can become better. John 12, 24, I think gives us an, an, an idea of why? And I, I think it also gives us this, this blessing of knowing that Jesus did this first. And he's not asking for us to do anything that he didn't do already. And it says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies and remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
See, I think that this verse really is it's foreshadowing what Jesus is going to do on the cross. That yes, Jesus is going to have to face uh, execution on the cross, and that's not good. But by doing that in his death, he's going to bear so much fruit because he made a way for world redemption. And Jesus is calling us to do the same, to pick up our own cross and to follow him. And I think that God knows that, that man, it's in our brokenness that we shine. It's in our brokenness that we find that, that motivation. And in our brokenness that we're at our best, that we make the biggest impact. I don't, how many of you that were alive remember 9-11? Do you, do you remember? I mean, I remember exactly where I was and everything that happened. And I'm not saying this to, to make you feel old, but I was in eighth grade. Okay. Eighth grade. Woo! That was a long time ago, right? But you know what I remember? Even though it was that long ago, you know what I remember about that month or a couple months after? I have never seen our country come together like we did then. Never have I seen that in my 31 years. But it was through that tragedy, right, that we came together, that black, white, homosexual, none of that crap mattered, all right? Man, what if we could find a way to live like that every day? It's in our brokenness that we band together, that, that we find compassion, that we take a stand for ourselves and others, and we say, no, 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 not again. In our brokenness that we let Jesus in, that we might be whole again. And I, I'm so thankful that we serve a God that in a world where we live that is unbearable, he is so good to us. Even though we face the shadow of death, we don't have to fear because he is with us. I'm going to ask if Rachel would come and I'm also going to ask if our prayer partners would come. Just going to have a moment to respond. I, I don't know where you are today. I, I know that we all respond differently to, to the moving of God. And I know there's been times where I've gone to the altar and it had nothing to do with what the preacher said. I just want you to feel open to respond today. We're going to have our prayer partners up here. If you feel like you can't get out of the pew, it's hard to get up here, just raise your hand. One of them will come to you. But I want you to think about that, and, and especially what I said towards the beginning. I mean, if you're going through something and nobody else knows about it, would you please reach out to somebody? You don't have to fight that alone. At the very least, come to the altar and, and let God know. Don't miss an opportunity. Respond to God today. Would you agree with me in prayer? Father God, thank you so much for your word. I know that it's easy for me to get up here and say all this stuff that you find in Scripture. The truth is, is that sometimes life is hard. Father God, I just ask that you would be the hope for the people today that are just struggling. That you would be so tangible to them today. That you would communicate to them that they are not alone. Lord, in each and every single one of us, we, we fight our own battles. I just ask that you would encourage those of us that are fighting alone 
find somebody. Not just to, to cry out to you, God, but to find somebody to fight with. I pray just as we leave this place, Lord, that you would give us the courage to face what we face head on with the confidence, Lord, that we serve a faithful God who is faithful on the cross and who will be faithful again every time we face something that just seems unbearable, seems overwhelming. Help us to learn to lean into you today, God. We love you. We praise you. As we go from this place, go with us, Lord. Help us to be your hands and feet. Help us to bless the people we encounter today. In your holy name, amen.